latest in the Bova News podcast series. I'm your host, Kim Bremer, and in this Bova News highlight series, we will be speaking with each of the four outstanding dairy farm recipients of the 2022 Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy Sustainability Award winners. These prestigious awards have recognized more than 80 winners from nearly 300 nominees since the program's creation in 2012. This year's winners have been recognized for their forward thinking and regenerative efforts, showing what it means to be a true environmental solution. Joining us today is Jimmy Gray with Gray House Farms Incorporated, a 1,200 cow dairy farm located in Stony Point, North Carolina. Welcome, Jimmy. Thank you. So the Gray House Farms is a fairly new operation. And can you give us some history and what led you to the decision to build a new dairy farm? Okay, well, even though our facility is new, Gray House Farms has been along for quite a while. My dad got out of the Korean War and uh, dairied with his two brothers in 66. He split off on his own. And uh, in the, he built a double three with a high line and, uh, you know, was milking 70 and 80 cows like most people in our community were at that time and uh, desired to build something bigger and better. In the mid 70s, he built a double eight with uh, way jars down the middle uh, and we were milking about 150 cows and his big motivation was to be able to get done with the milking quick so he could have more time to do the field crops. And um, then probably 20 years ago, we put in a low line and milked 16 at a time. And we stayed there right up until almost four years ago. And we still use that facility for freshening cows in and, and any cow they're having a problem at our main dairy. Uh, we still utilize that. Um, but yeah, it, August the 14th, uh, 2018, we went into a double 20 uh, parlor that's expandable to 28. Um, we went into that with two barns milking about 600 cows about a year and a half after we opened it up we added a 400 cow freestyle barn and the design and layout uh, can receive another 400 cow barn it's already graded out and everything we just haven't built it um, but we uh, we knew we needed to get larger we knew we needed to get more efficient and then as we went into that project, we always kept conservation as a major focus. We realized, had a good friend that said, uh, at, at, at that time, at our old facilities, we were milking 350 cows. And he said, you know how to manage 350 cows. It's sort of like a speedboat. If you climb into a thousand cow dairy, you're going to be in a, a barge. You won't be able to maneuver it well. So we kind of took that in mind, and we tried to manage a 600-cow dairy before we expanded out. And uh, presently, we are milking milking cows about a little under 1,100 there right now. And that was, uh, I think that was a smart thing for us to do, not try to jump right into just a gigantic, for us, a gigantic uh, herd. And uh, we feel good about where we're at now. Now, why were sustainability and conservation such high priorities for you? Well, I'm going to have to uh, look to my father on that. Uh, he was a member of the Idle County Soil and Water Conservation Board for 12 years. And when he stepped down, he asked, uh, I, he said, why don't you take a go at it? And um, I've been on the board for 20 years now. So our families had a real close connection. Um, I like to emphasize all the programs, all the advice 
is open to every farmer, not just dairy farmers. Uh, soil conservation, soil and water conservation districts are there to serve their communities. And uh, if you've got anything, any practice is available to you. Now, we were extremely familiar with them being on the board. Uh, so that was an advantage. But really, truly, if you're interested in conservation, you don't need to be a board member to take advantage of them. And a lot of times we say that soil and water is the most uh, the best kept secret. And we don't want to be that secret. We, uh, But dad was real uh, interested in not having erosion. Uh, we're in the foothills of North Carolina, not in the mountains and not in the plains and not in the sand hills. We're in those foothills. And uh, almost all of our properties, you know, rated highly erodible lands. So uh, taking care of the land, taking care of the cattle, Cows. I, you know, I don't know any successful farmer that doesn't take care of his land. I don't know any successful dairyman that doesn't take care of his cattle. So, uh, really, it's uh, you know taking care of yourself in a way too. If you don't take care of your uh, farming operation, then I don't think it'll serve you well. Now, Jimmy, can you walk us through some of the conservation practices that you've put in place on your dairy? Well, of course, probably the best known of all conservation programs, I, I think, or practices would be no-till farming. And uh, as I explained it to people that don't understand the no-till farming concept, uh, you, you build soil up, you increase soil health, um, you spend less man hours, less fossil fuels, less equipment, Doing something that's so simple, you 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 maintain that soil structure and all, and that's that's the that is a huge one on our farm, of course. And we've been doing no-till for a very long time. Uh, but another practice that we embraced early on is called stream exclusions. Uh, we have I think about eight different streams or in eight different pastures. Um, we have streams running through them, and all of those streams are fenced out. Uh, and whether it's through NRCS or your soil and water conservation district, they will pay to have, uh, if, even if you're in an area that you don't have a well, they'll even pay for a well. We've never had that practice. We've just always tapped on the wells that we have to provide water for your cattle. They'll put water tanks in, uh, uh, environmental cloth around that area, stone to help so that the I believe everybody in livestock has probably seen a messy water tank that's got mud where they're up to their chest in mud. And uh, we don't want that. We want the cows to, to be healthier. And, you know, uh, the benefits of that to the stream are enormous. Uh, cattle are clothed hooved animals that are very heavy and they get in soft ground on the edge of the stream and they'll erode that bank down and make a bunch of mud. And you have a large water event, rain event. Um, that mud just goes downstream. It erodes away, and it it have uh, stream sedimentation is a huge problem. So by fencing that stream out, the vegetation takes over. The cattle aren't in there stomping and making a bunch of mud. Then um, it'll heal itself. And when that big rain event comes, instead of the banks washing downstream, that vegetation will lay over and protect the stream bank. And it really makes a tremendous difference. I, I can remember one of the early streams, you couldn't walk across it. I mean, you would sink up. You could not keep a boot on getting across the stream. 
And now that stream, you walk right to the edge of it and walk right across it, no problem. Uh, it's a tremendous difference. But not only that, the health of our cattle is so much better than them drinking from a muddy creek. Uh, clean water equals for young stock, uh, better weight gains and better uh, uh, health for our livestock too. So like I said, all these programs, it's almost, I can't think of any conservation program, not only are you helping the environment, you're helping your farming operation. You're becoming more profitable. Uh, the conservation programs are not like you can't go into the office, say, I want to sign up for this program and start this week. Uh, they got to go in front of the board and, and, and be approved. The application has to be approved. And then the staff has to design the program. And then the design has to be approved. It takes some patience. Uh, but most places, you get somewhere between six cost shares. So it is rewarding. But if you stick with the program, it can be very beneficial. Now, you also utilize GPS technology? Uh, on GPS, uh, yeah, we uh, our fertilizer applicators do mapping on all our fields. And uh, we utilize that for a uh, variable application of fertilizers and lime. And I know you also use cover crops, filter strips. Uh, are you also 100% no-till? Yes. Yes, we are. We are. Now, can you also talk to us a little bit about your really innovative flush manure management and sand separation system? You really are a huge recycler. Yeah. We... Uh, we went to a lot of dairies when we were preparing to, to build. Went to a lot of North Carolina dairies. And, and the dairy community at large is very open to, uh, if you tell them, I'm looking at building a new operation, it's people you never met before will say, yeah, come on in, look at what we're doing. I'll tell you what I like about it, what I don't like about it. We went to uh, Pennsylvania, looked at three large dairies, uh, went down to South Georgia and looked. And uh, we talked with our architect, uh, the one that we ended up going with was Jake Martin, and he designed some dairies down in Georgia. We kind of followed their design. But um, our sand recycling uh, and manure system, it operates off of four waste lagoons. Uh, in the final stage, the water's fairly thin, and we repump it. We have one pump, pumps it to the top of the dairy, and then we use it to flush the barns with. It goes down the main street, goes into a, a basin, and then it's released on a concrete pad that we call the sand settling basin, uh, and it's 300 feet long. And we every day we reclaim that sand. So... That sand is, you know, there's some sand there that when we open. Uh, yeah, some of it will move on through, but basically this water slows down and the, the sand, which is no more than really, really small rocks, they sink. It's pretty simple. And the, the manure and the water and everything else goes on and goes on down, goes to the first lagoon. And the solids stay in that first lagoon really well because we don't take take the fluid to go to the next pond off the top and we don't take it off the bottom. We take it out of the middle and solids generally will sink or float. So uh, when it's time to go to a field, haul waste to a field, then we can use this concentrated slurry to move it to distant uh, fields and 
the thinner water. I even got a pickup where we put installed two um, center pivots, so I can irrigate those fields at most any time. Because a lot of time when you're looking to apply waste, you have a very short window, especially if you're double cropping. And whether you're hauling with tankers or you're using a drag line system, which we utilize both of those systems, you've taken one crop off and you're ready to put another one in, so you've got to hurry and do it. The, the uh, center pivot gives us so much more flexibility on some of those fluids. And the four lagoon system is so much better than one huge one because you can benefit by concentrating and you benefit by having a thinner water boat. Now, you also devote uh, attention to wildlife conservation. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you do on your farm? When I was a younger man, my dad said, all you think about is hunting. And uh, he was not real far off. Um, I, I'm definitely a, uh, a sportsman uh, and uh, wildlife conservation is very important to us. Um, my brother Andy, which is my partner in the Deere House Farms, uh, Andy and I are both managing partners. My parents, Peggy and Reed Gray, are partners, but they no longer manage any of the dairy. Um, yeah, we both enjoy uh, wildlife conservation, and we're probably some of the first and maybe still the only that do control burns in our Loblolly pine stands. We have some timberland, too. And the benefits to that, sometimes we even sign up for uh, federal programs on the burns. Uh, but the the benefit there is not only to the wildlife, but it's to the timber that we produce. It basically weeds out the non-desirable trees that we don't want to produce. But when you burn in between your pine trees, it produces more available. You kill the mid, what they call the mid-story. It provides daylight down into the forest floor and uh, provides good habitat for quail, turkey, deer. It's just a real benefit. When a forest just sort of canopies out, you get no daylight to the floor. Uh, wildlife have cover, but they don't have any food. So uh, that's a program that benefits our timber situation. It benefits the wildlife. We also have installed uh, six different waterfowl in towns. Now, North Carolina is pretty famous for waterfowl hunting down towards the uh, the eastern part of the state, but we're we're in the center of the state, and I, I kid that we're the heart of the non-traditional duck hunting world because it's just not a lot of duck hunting goes on here. But we've uh, taken some properties that aren't crucial to the farming operation. Uh, two of them are river bottoms on a timber track. Um, other areas are ponds that we've converted, but I'll grow a crop and flood that crop, and uh, it'll attract. Uh, migrating waterfowl. We've done real well with it. It's very enjoyable to uh, uh, we don't have as many clients coming as we used to because our kids enjoy it so much. Uh, my son, John Roby, Andy's daughters, Rachel and Laurel, they all enjoy duck hunting tremendously. But the, another benefit other than for the wildlife and other for our enjoyment is that when we do have clients come in, they have a connection to a farmer. And I think that's very important because as we as farmers become more and more productive, there's fewer and fewer of us, which is a disappointment in, in a lot of ways. But, 
you know, uh, if one person's feeding, I forget what the number might be by now, it's 157 or something the last time I think I looked it up. But uh, that's a lot of people that aren't farming. If one feeds 157, and of course, a third of all agricultural products are exported, which benefits the national economy greatly. But still, if it's one farmer to every hundred non-farmers, uh, um, things that people don't understand, they tend to not trust. And we need our public to trust farmers. So we need to make, as busy as our schedules are, we need to make a very special effort to connect with the non-farming communities too. And that's one of the goals that we try to do. Um, we've got a good story to tell and uh, we need the public not to be afraid of us, not to be saying, that, oh, that's got to be, that's a big farm. That's, they've got to be doing things wrong. No, we're not. We're, we're family farmers that expanded, got larger, to survive. I grew up on a road, two-mile road. There were six dairies on it. Well, five of them are gone. So, you know, that's what we're faced with. But other other projects like that, we have a, for 20 years, my wife and I have, even before our son was born, we had a youth day at Greyhouse Farms. And we, uh, it was based on wildlife conservation. It was really pretty much like a fun day for the kids. They go down to their, our farm pond here and uh, we have a fishing contest, uh, canoeing, uh, archery station, a BB plank station. If kids are old enough to shoot a shotgun, a lot of times we'll have a wildlife officer down there helping us with that, with that uh, station. But just a good day for the kids to get out. Uh, a lot of times uh, our used to be Suda. Now it's Dairy Advantage. They'll they'll bring some stuff to uh, give us door prizes, and uh, so I, I do work the dairy message into the crowd while I have them here. But it's really been a great event for us, and uh, a lot of a lot of kids have enjoyed it, and a lot of parents and grandparents have enjoyed coming to it. And just you know, so many kids now grow up on a half acre lot and be able to get out and get in the country and get to do some of the things that I got to do when I was a kid. Uh, they appreciate it. Yes, uh, you do a great job in putting effort into education and educating local consumers and telling uh, our story. What's been the reaction from your community on your efforts to bring them to your farm and to help educate the consumer? It's really been it's really been pretty surprisingly good. Uh, my wife and I were at a restaurant. I believe our son was with us too. We were at a restaurant and uh, in Statesville and. Uh, the server came to me and said, do you have a dairy farm? And I said, well, yes, I do. And she said, I was helping my kids class when they went to the environmental field day. And I teach a, uh, a segment on agriculture at our environmental field day that we have up at the Girl Scouts camp. Uh, we've been doing that for about eight years. The Soil and Water Conservation District puts it on. And she said, I did not know what you told us that day about milk and why it's important to milk, drink milk. Um, and I, I went over the fact that, you know, when you're young, up until you're about 18 to 20, somewhere in there, you have the ability through drinking milk to build calcium bone strength. And that, you know, if you decide you're 25 years old and say, well, I want to have me some strong bones. So 
sorry, you can maintain what you've got, but, um, you know, you can't build now. You've got to do that when you're in your youth. And she said, my kids, I've insisted that they drank milk. They love milk. They don't like the school milk, but the milk I buy them, they really like. So, uh, you know, that's a real positive thing to be out not expecting a reaction like that, but somebody that remembered me and remembered me talking to their children's class. And uh, that's a very positive thing. So I even made some T-shirts. And sometimes I'll get stopped in town. People people discuss what I've got on my shirt. It's the front of it says, be dairy strong. And I've got a Holstein cow facing a cow of color. Could be a brown Swiss, could be a jersey. And on the back, it says, drink real milk for strong bones, dot, dot, dot. Anything else is just nuts. So uh, I get some reactions of that, and, and I, I get into these conversations. They say, well, you know, uh, almond milk doesn't hurt anybody. The almond milk doesn't, uh, well, you're not, you're not getting anything. You're, you're, get, you're getting a publicity uh, scam there. In my opinion, I said, if, if you want true nutrition, Dairy's where it's at. And I've had several discussions like that with the public. So I, whether it's, you know, out in public or at the county fair, and uh, it's rewarding to see my son uh, not bashful at all, striking up conversation with the community as they come by and ask questions about the cows. We always welcome uh, the chance, the opportunity to talk to the public. In terms of your advocacy and continuing to improve in conservation and efficiency, do you see any changes coming down the pipeline at Greyhouse Farms? Well, <laughs> the the biggest change that I can see coming is the next generation. Uh, like I said, Andy's my partner and my brother, and he has two daughters. Uh, Rachel just graduated from uh, Mount Olive. And uh, she is presently on a, a trip to Germany, stopping at, I think, every week or 10 days. She changes to a new farm, and she's going to be over there for three months. Um, and so she's out of school. Um, I feel very strongly she's coming back to our farm. Uh, her younger sister, Laurel, will be a sophomore at NC State. And, and I have a feeling that she's going to come back to the farm. And then my son. John Roby will be a freshman at NC State this coming year. Uh, so I'm seeing that the next wave of Greyhouse Farms is heading our way. Uh, I do feel good that we, when we built the dairy, I was, I mean, it was the day to decide, yes, this is the blueprints we want. This is the facility that we want. We always knew we wanted that double 20 parallel. Um, but I said, Let's add 17 foot. Let's go ahead and put room for another eight units because it'd be so expensive for total 16 units uh, that we could go to a double 28. Uh, you know, and we've got the plans, the grading, everything's there. If we want to add another 450 cows, we can do that. And uh, it's, I don't think we'll have to turn to the kids and say there's not enough room for you here. Uh, We've got room for them. Uh, and uh, that was a huge, uh, almost once in a lifetime investment for us, I feel like. And 
I think the planning that went into it, not only serving us today, but it will serve us down the road too. Well, you're clearly an innovator in the dairy industry. What advice do you have for other dairymen and women looking at ways to improve their dairies to support the industry-wide 2050 environmental stewardship goals? Uh, <laughs> as an innovator, go see who's doing it right. Um, I stole from so many of the very giving uh, dairy operations in my community. Um, you know, the, uh, the gentleman that has the, the lowest sale count for the past, I think, 14 years in North Carolina, uh, Barry Myers, he's very generous. I, I would come there and, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why, you know, just go to the people that have been successful at it. Um, visit them. Uh, I, you know, I don't really know that I'm an innovator other than I'm taking advantage of other people's uh, trials and errors. But, you know, be a question, question everything. Uh, that was a common thing that I did uh, when I went to an operation and uh, I'd say, what would you do different? Why, where, where's your great mistake on this operation so that I wouldn't duplicate it? I went to one large dairy. Uh, we put a subway, which is subways the underneath the parlor and keeps the equipment cleaner. It, it's, it's easier. You can do maintenance while they're milking if you need to. Uh, a lot of people put subways in. Well, this one dairy, he had a bridge that the cows crossed, you could look off both sides of it, one see the steps and one look down into the subway, but he had to hire a man basically to keep the cows moving across the bridge. Uh, so in our subway, cows have no idea it's there. It's totally closed off. They can't look down into it. You got to go into the equipment room and go in. So uh, visit a lot. Uh, take advice of those that are doing it right would be my my greatest uh, advice i guess and then of course anything whether it's in a soil and water program or nrcs program or if it's just in a common sense program we built a road i mean it was expensive to build this road we built a road that connects our two dairies um that if you didn't use that, that road, it would take five miles to get to each one of them. It's under two miles uh, by the road that we constructed. Um, but how many thousands of miles have we saved on uh, taking our little shortcut that's our private road uh, other than going around? How many man hours? How many? How much equipment? How much less danger our employees are in taking uh, a tractor with a feed wagon between the two barns if they go around by the five miles and heavier traffic um you know things like that um all our barns we don't open any gates to feed in this new operation they're all you drive through them and there's no gate to open it's got to turn around at the back and the architect of course already had that design but the part he didn't have is that big teardrop turnaround at the bottom that connects to the main street. He just had it as a, an area, a dead area, pretty much. You just drove around there. Well, uh, my brother Andy came up with this great idea. said, we've got all this space here. You come out of the feedway and you turn into this big turnaround area. 
why don't we extend the feed bunk to that area too? Now, they don't like eating out in the real hot summertime like right now, but in the wintertime, they almost prefer eating out there, out from underneath the cover. Uh, and especially a six-row barn, your limiting factor is feed bunk. Well, we put in six-row barns, so um, you've got more sleepers to ratio than you do feed bunk. So that additional area there, uh, that was conservation. You know, conservation is the best use of your assets. So uh, that was not in the program, the road, the turnarounds, um, but but still, I think they're conservation in play. Well said. Where can people go to learn more about your dairy? Well, you know, we're not on, <laughs> we don't really have a Facebook. Uh, I don't get on Facebook myself. Um, my wife does a little to keep up with family sort of but uh no there's not really a we don't have a uh publicity team i guess uh you might have to come see us perfect well jimmy i wish you continued success in all you do and offer our sincere thanks and admiration for being an exceptional leader and representing our industry well congratulations on this award this wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. And be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer. And from everyone at Bova News, have a great day. Bova News.